Your Hormonal Story, a podcast about real women and real stories, breaking down the stigma about hormonal conditions. Join us for an informal chat about women's health, the struggles, the solutions. I'm Jeff Butterworth, naturopath and women's health specialist for over 25 years. Everyone has a story and we'd love to help you with your unique story. The first miscarriage, they encourage us to let the body do its natural thing. And I, you know, same thing, wasn't informed, didn't know. Okay, I'll listen to the experts. And uh, then just kept going back and saying, something's not right and I'm feeling, you know, bloated, uncomfortable. My gut feeling was there was something wrong and the doctors just were sitting saying, well, you know, you know you're not still pregnant. And I was like, yeah, I know, because we had a scan and they said the fetus had died at, at around 14 weeks. And then, unfortunately, a few weeks later, standing at work and just hemorrhaged and was rushed off to the hospital. This week on Your Hormonal Story, we chat to a fabulous woman called Kim, who's 52 years old. And we chat to her about her experiences with endometriosis. And we dig right into a time of her life when she was trying to conceive for her second child after the birth of a daughter, and she had three miscarriages. So we talk about how that made her feel, her relationship with a partner, and how they coped with this difficult time of life. So if you've ever had a miscarriage, it's a really interesting listen. And then we get into her experiences with perimenopause and menopause and how she's successfully navigated this time of life. So if you suffer from endometriosis, ever had a miscarriage uh, in that time of life of perimenopause and menopause, then this episode is a must watch. So enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Your Hormonal Story. So this week, we've got a really fantastic story about a real woman that's sitting right next to me here, Kim. And she's gonna tell us all about her journey with fertility, with endometriosis. And we're gonna to touch on something that we often don't talk about is her partner and, and his journey along the way because it's often an untold story. So welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's, uh, it's such an important thing. And we were just chatting before offline about how women's stories aren't being told. And this is why we're doing these podcasts so we can get real women like you, share your story and Hopefully, as we said, if it just helps one lady, then we've done our job, but hopefully we can help thousands as well. Mm. So let's, uh, I always like to start um, with some form of diagnosis. Now I know for you, your diagnosis of the endometriosis was very late in the picture, which is very common. And unfortunately, women have to go through years and years and years of suffering without knowing what's going on. So just tell me a little bit about your diagnosis and then we'll head both ways in your particular story. Okay, so yes, Jeff, I was around 38 when I first found out that that's what I had. And it actually come about after the, the birth of our daughter and then we were trying to conceive and kept miscarriage and three miscarriages and started asking questions you know thinking there's something wrong with this and you know as you do you you're not informed with all these sorts of things at different times so then ended up going to see a one gynecologist who wanted to to use a different type of birth control and 
I was thinking and, you know, trying to regulate periods and she just seemed to be so off track as to what, you know, getting to the cause of the problem. So I just left there feeling a bit very confused and then started looking into other options myself and found a really amazing gynaecologist who was referred to us from the obstetrician that delivered our baby and uh, going to him it just changed my life because he after he he was really caring and he asked what had been happening and then after about half an hour he said Kim you have this this and this and we can do this this and this and he said basically that our daughter was a miracle because my endometriosis, he, in his opinion, was so bad. So he said for us to even have a child was remarkable. And yeah, so it really started there. And I, I hadn't, I don't know if I'd even heard of endometriosis at that time. Just, you know, my periods were actually regular usually and just a lot of bloating and thinking oh well and unless you talk to people you just think that everyone goes through the same journey so uh, yeah started way late into into my life when I found out okay it's it's really interesting we hear this a lot is and and we know this a lot that you've got to go to so many doctors to get a diagnosis and you know there's so many doctors out there but but we hear this I finally found this one amazing doctor and it just surprises me that there are so few doctors that can look at the symptoms of endometriosis or whether it's PCOS and diagnose it because they're not difficult symptoms to diagnose, but then obviously they're invasive. Did you actually get any sort of um, further testing to confirm the diagnosis? Uh, After the, I'm not sure if it was a first or second miscarriage, I, because the first miscarriage, they encourage us to let the body do its natural thing. And I, you know, same thing, wasn't informed, didn't I? Okay, I'll listen to the experts. And uh, then just kept going back and saying, something's not right. And I'm feeling, you know, bloated, uncomfortable. My gut feeling was there was something wrong. And the doctors just were sitting saying, well, you know, you know, you're not still pregnant. And I was like, yeah, I know, because we had a scan and they said the fetus had died at at around 14 weeks. And then unfortunately, a few weeks later, standing at work and just hemorrhaged and was rushed off to the hospital and then ended up getting a curette done at that time. Then they found some uh, cysts on my ovaries and sort of looked into things a little bit more after that. And then that was noted on my file and then then I had another miscarriage after that see the thing for me which was unusual they couldn't work out I seemed to just basically look at my husband I could get pregnant whereas for a lot of people that have endo endometriosis they struggle to conceive but that wasn't a problem for us so maybe that was part of the dismissing because we weren't we didn't you know didn't fit into that square box category Uh, so then the next time I just demanded straight in you know, fetus has died, I, I just want it dealt with and move on. And uh, then they were looking into things a bit more. And I think with noting on file and the GP and when I finally ended up at that amazing gynecologist, uh, he, I don't know, he just hit it straight away. He's just onto it. Okay. And just tell me a little bit about the miscarriages because this is something that's really not talked about in terms of the, the emotional 
roller coaster that you go through, the physical symptoms, and one miscarriage is too many, but three is really takes its toll on, on you personally, the relationship. Tell me about that experience. It was really stressful and I wish there was some sort of support program back then, Jeff, that you could go to and speak to people that like the uh, the gynaecologist, well, this was a previous one during that time because I swapped over and he said, look, Kim, basically, or we said to both of us, basically sometimes when the sperm meets the egg, it's not compatible and, you know, these things happen. It's, they were like really high stats, which surprised me. And then, yeah, look, it was it was a tough time. In the end, too, we ended up focusing on what we didn't have and what we wanted. So we had a really healthy, beautiful baby. And then we wanted another, well, we wanted four kids originally. We ended up with one. So we are blessed because she's very healthy and she was. But we were focusing on what we didn't have. So the strain on our relationship and marriage was really quite significant and I think it was about us communicating and working okay well we've got one healthy child if we get another one it's a bonus but then all the the hormonal changes and the roller coaster ride of you know not feeling like there was support available where you could speak to people and back then thinking like I'm 52 so I was in my early 30s it was wasn't really something people talked about until much later on I sort of felt that people said oh we don't talk about those sorts of things yeah and we still don't and this is when you think about it the no one tells anyone about whether they're pregnant or not until 12 weeks because of the risk of miscarriage but but why not and and no one talks about miscarriage and it's it's such a traumatic event anyone that's experienced <sighs> miscarriage and it's well as you mentioned you've got the hormones going everywhere so you're feeling out of balance but the, it's essentially the loss of a child and there is no counseling no one's talking about it as a couple you're left to wonder and and one of the hardest things is will it ever be so it's it's such a difficult time of life mm, it was definitely a really really hard time in our marriage so yeah, it took a while because also too, you have this sense of blame. So when the first miscarriage happened, I thought, oh, because I'm really into exercise and keeping fit and healthy. And I thought, oh, well, I won't exercise next time. You know, I must have overdone it. I've done something wrong. And then so you change everything and it happens again and you think, what's wrong with me? And then you start blaming you because you're carrying this child. And But at no time ever once did my husband blame or there was no he would if anything he was just trying to be more supportive because he could see that it was really it was a really stressful time and you go through one miscarriage and then it's it's not like something that you can avoid because you want to have more children so you've then got to back up emotionally and you can't just you well, you shouldn't really just try for another child straight away so you've got to let your body rest and heal for at least three months and then get yourself ready and then you try again and then the stress of wondering will you have another miscarriage and then if you do have another miscarriage it's like going into a boxing match that a fight that you don't want to go into it's it's such a difficult thing you are so correct Jeff and no one there's no one it feels like you're just alone on the journey there's no one there to and you, you know your GP only does so much but there needs to be more 
like a support network or something set up because I remember at one stage after the second one, I was just, I'd gone around to my nan's to pick up our daughter and my nan, God love her, she's had so much wisdom, wisdom. And I remember just crying and she said, oh, I put her arm around me. She said, you know, I had one too. And like I was in my, you know, mid middle thirties by then and I, no one had ever discussed it in the family, but, you know, finally saying, okay, I know how it feels. I think that's the whole thing too. You want to feel like someone understands what that feels like. Yeah. And the only way we can do that is having these conversations and saying it's mm. okay. You know, you haven't done anything wrong and it's just, it is a part of life, unfortunately. And let's put some counseling service available. Let's, you know, make a plan for how you can prepare yourself potentially for the next child and there's certain things as well and i don't think a lot of doctors realize this is a lot of miscarriages is through low progesterone levels in that first 12 weeks so ensuring that there's sufficient progesterone and one of the only times i recommend progesterone is in that first 12 weeks but surprisingly a lot of gps don't even know that and they accept miscarriage as part of life and just get on with it but as we talked about it's such a traumatic event and if you can prevent one miscarriage then that's a fantastic thing and the more you prep your body with getting those hormones balanced as you've learned since it can help prevent those miscarriages as well mm. and you just said before you need you need to give your body three months rest no one tells you that you need to do that like you're just saying okay okay so and they t the gps they'll just go and get pregnant you know like and what you're saying makes sense the body's not ready it's just tried to deal with that one and now you want to throw it into something else so it un I understand now as I've got older about the roller coaster ride of the hormones and if it doesn't repair and heal then how can it go into the next phase yeah it might be a good time to bring in your husband at this point and we don't want to make it about him of course but he's part of the story but you know this is for men equally it's it's a very emotional situation obviously not physically tell me about his his experiences his words how he coped with that and how as a couple you you got through that oh he was very supportive he's such a calm and caring natured person and i find myself i could I can get you know more anxious and stressed about things not so much now but definitely years ago and uh, he's very good at communicating and so we ended up going to counseling and that was really that was really powerful and really constructive because you could work out then just to work through the process how, how each of us were feeling and men and women feel differently they have you know different they communicate differently, they'll feel differently. So it was good to go to that and just talk it through with a mutual person and then give some tools and strategies around going forward. And the main thing I focus on, well, we have a healthy child. Yes, we'd like another one, but don't lose sight of what you already have. And having a child is a very special gift. And I'd experienced that once. So, but look, there's not a day goes past. I, I actually haven't asked him, but there's not a day goes past where I don't think of the what if or another child because when you really want something and and it feels like it's unachievable, I think it's you learn to manage your life and just have a different mindset. But yeah, I I do think of it often. And and that's a classic sign of a deep trauma 
you know, in terms of even post-traumatic stress syndrome, it's there's these hurts sit deep in your psyche for many, many years, as you said. So uh, it certainly can't be understated the extent of what's happened in your life. No, and watching, reading your emails that come through and now watching the podcast that you're doing, I, I've looked and thought, oh my goodness, you know, you shouldn't look in the rear vision mirror, but thinking, my goodness, I bet there would have been something that could have worked for us, but we missed that, didn't have that chance because there wasn't the education and there wasn't someone around like yourselves that could help inform people like us. So, yeah. Tell me, you mentioned that it, with part of the counselling that, you know, men deal with things differently and women deal with things differently. Tell me about that a little bit, about how you dealt with it and how your partner dealt with it that was different. Uh, I think by having an independent person there that can actually bring everything out in a very comfortable communication setting so then for for me be able to saying that I was feeling like I was feeling guilty that I wasn't being a good wife in that sense that I couldn't then produce another child in a sense of having that sense of feeling of guilt and that you know that it was all my fault but then also he could talk about how he was feeling as well so he was feeling similar to me because he wanted another child desperately as well so it was good to sit there and understand and and have an open communication around how we each other felt and then I think going away and then being able to talk about it together and then really focusing on okay we have a healthy child and maybe the universe doesn't want us to have enough I mean my husband's a teacher now and he gets to work with kids all day so I sort of laugh that off in a sense that you know some of his dream was fulfilled. Uh, yeah, so that was really important. I know people consider counselling as a sign of weakness, but now as I've got older and much older now, even in the last 10 years, it's a real sign of strength and we should, society should be, you know, openly more saying because that's what professional experts are. When you can't deal with something yourself, there's always someone else that can help you. And asking for help, I think, is is really good and more people should do it. And and counselling, it's a tool that you have in a toolbox to get over these things. And if you, for example, didn't do that counselling, didn't talk about it, didn't have a supportive partner, that trauma and hurt sits deeper and that will eventually come out somewhere um, and can affect your health in many different ways. So trying to release this, rationalise it, and reconcile it and let it be in the past is is a really really important thing for any women listening that have had miscarriages or in the same situation that you were it's really important that you use as many tools as you can to cope because it's such a stressful situation and i know people don't mean it at times but you know you've been married for a while and people will be saying oh come on when you're having kids it's like this expectation and then you have one it's oh come on they need to need a playmate brother or sister or something or you get the other things like oh you're so lucky you've only got one people really need to be careful about you know I, I i stayed silent for so long and thought if you only knew what we've been through and yes we only have one but you sort of i think society unfortunately promotes that there's this 
you know, perfect scenario and it's not like that for everyone. I mean, now that as I've got older and you talk to more people, the amount of people that have had miscarriage, whether they had one or two or I know someone that had eight before they had one child. So when I was told that story, it really helped me put things in perspective, Jeff, Jeff that I had, we we didn't miss a beat. I got pregnant really easily and had I was had a lot of morning sickness to about 15 weeks. But apart from that, I had a really good pregnancy and feel very grateful for that. But then to talk to someone that had eight and never had any kids, that, I mean, I don't know how they got out of bed in the morning, seriously, you know? So it does, you know, there's always someone better off and worse off. And I think the talking really helps to understand, have some empathy around what people are going through. And I think if we did talk more about miscarriages, for example, and hormonal issues in general, those uh, faux pas about asking about when you're having another child wouldn't happen because it would be common knowledge that we've had some miscarriages, so we're not going to go there and discuss, you know, bring up those issues kind of thing. So the, the other thing I'd like to touch on as well is, and, and you just did is, you know, so many women are going through so much with their hormones and different hormonal conditions. And it's, it's significant, uh, whether it's endometriosis or PCOS or, or chronic dysmenorrhea or, or whatever it is. And it's really a heavy burden to, to carry through life. Um, and if it's not talked about, then women are feeling like it's, it's them. They're feeling very alone and isolated. Did you, how did you feel around that in terms of, obviously you had your husband to talk to, but when all this was going on, were you feeling alone? Initially, but I think once I, it, there was this whole sense of absolute relief when the gynecologist said, Kim, you, I believe in my best knowledge from all my years experience that you have this, this and this, and we can do this, this and this. It felt like this big weight was lifted off me because I felt like, I was alone at that point and and you know a couple of times going to the doctor and and she said well you know you're not still pregnant and these sort of off-the-cuff comments you're starting to think that mm, then maybe there is really something wrong with me so that felt great I must say even though the news to to say well you know that you have you know your your child is you most likely a miracle and that you might not have any more that wasn't great but I think when you have time to process it and look at the big picture of it, then I think that that's when you can, as a person, say, okay, yeah, well, this is not great, but there's some positives and negatives here to look at. You finally get a diagnosis. So, yeah, and then speaking, my mum, my parents are wonderful. I still have my parents. I'm so grateful for that. And my mum and I have a, a close relationship and we talk openly, but more so, I think as I've got older, because different generations, like having our daughter, seems like now there's no conversation that's off limits. And so different generations gone by can communicate differently. But yeah, I just think we're in a such, we're in a blessed world in a sense now. I know there's a lot of things going on around there, but communication and education and helping others guide them, they find their way. I think that's really fantastic if you can give that opportunity and you mentioned there that you you felt like and one of the doctors sort of when you don't get that diagnosis and they're saying everything's fine is you feel like it's just you and you start to question yourself is you know is this just me am i crazy because you're going to these doctors that have studied for all this time and no one can tell you what's wrong and 
a few of our other podcasts, it's a similar theme that comes through is these women have got, and you had significant symptoms that are occurring and, and it's, well, there's nothing wrong with you because we can't test for it. So it's incredible in this day and age that you have basically borderline thinking, is this all in my head? But you've got these significant physical symptoms. Mm. Yes. So yeah, I know it's tough. Now that I'm out the other side and through it, like I'm, I, I remember seeing Lisa Curry at a conference one time. She was talking. That's how I was first introduced to happy hormones and her speaking about things. I thought, wow, I need that product. <laughs> and I, yeah, I thought that that's a real turning point. But yeah, I just, yeah, if you're not educated or aware and we don't have these conversations, how can our next generations, like I said, like our daughter, understand what's going on and I'm very in tune with my body always have been so I I just felt that there was something not right but and then now I'm very open to non-conventional medicine if something's wrong I I would definitely first go to a naturopath or, or you know I know we need our GPs and experts around us but I just yeah I'd go off there now before sort of going down the other path just well, my a, the best best way is this integrative approach. Obviously, GPs, doctors have fabulous <laughs> diagnostic methods. Although, obviously, there's there's big holes in that system as well. But obviously, naturopaths and holistic practitioners come at it from a different perspective, more from a preventative perspective, a holistic perspective, and they're bringing different tools to the table. And if you've got a good team around you, that's when you can really manage, particularly things like endometriosis. You, no one system is is going to be able to, it certainly won't cure it, but manage it on its own. So you need these different mechanisms and tools to, to cope. So let's, let's actually go right back to when you were first got your period. I wanna understand a little bit about your progression of the endometriosis because there's probably some things and you mentioned that you're quite fit and active there's probably some things where that you were doing without knowing that were improving your endometriosis symptoms so you weren't at that really chronic level that might have caused you to get diagnosed earlier so tell me when you first started getting a period what you're experiencing and how you felt at that time uh, so I, I think I was in year seven, but I was about 11 or 12. Uh, and when I got it, I just thought, well, and it was very regular each month. That was one thing as well, that it was a consistent pattern there. So I've, when I've talked to other friends with endo, they, you know, there's not as regular. So I, a lot of bloating when, you know, for the two or three days and not every month, there was pain, but some months more significant. But I, like I said, exercise. So I was running and played netball and kept really active. So I find too, I, I must have a good pain threshold because uh, unless something's really, really hurting, it takes a lot to stop me, even now as I've got older. So yeah, it just seemed more so I found for me a lot of bloating for that time, even you knew when it was coming and because it, I just felt really uncomfortable. Okay. And this, we're going obviously what back about 40 odd years now is what was just <laughs> described. It's, it's, it's a fair, but back then for certainly that was 
definitely not a known condition very well endometriosis but tell me a bit you're saying you're very active but what was how would you describe your diet and back then in terms of um you know, family were you was there any focus on health in the household were you a sugar eater can you remember what sort of diet you were raised on we ate really well and probably, if anything, a little bit of sugar here and there. I wouldn't say an excessive amount. Uh, it's probably a traditional meat and vegetable sort of type um, diet, you know, potatoes and meat and veggies and things, healthy. Not a lot of soft drinks and things like that. Uh, bit of cordial in there yeah like I looking back from knowing that what I hear more about hormones and that sort of thing that's can play a big part and I was always got a lot of sleep big sleeper loved my sleep so in terms of eating I don't know I wouldn't say I was high in any particular area than one yeah yeah I'm just trying to because said you've you've had the bloating typical endometriosis will have significant pain levels to the point where you're having to be on painkillers were you taking any painkillers uh different times in your cycle no not when i was younger i uh sorry i was just trying to think back hmm isn't it hard when you think so many years ago and then just reliving and remembering i suppose because then you thought okay this is normal probably if anything back then we did eat a lot of bread bread was a common um part of our diet whereas now i i try everything i do not to eat much bread and things like that i try and go with like real food in a sense and stay away from sugar where possible so it would have been more into my probably uh, early 20s and a bit later, I suppose, then you started drinking alcohol and partying and not living that good, you know, maybe going out more. So I noticed a change there, Jeff. but I suppose that's part of living. But now, if, now with the education I have around that, there's things I could have done to help that too. But didn't know just thought oh well that's everyone's got the same so did you notice a worsening of your symptoms when you were drinking more alcohol then when you were younger yes and not that i wouldn't say like i was drinking every day probably back then in your younger years you generally partied on the weekends so yeah not eating not eating well fast food yeah i noticed more of a difference then and you mentioned you were really active when you're in teens, but have you always been active? Have you been, what's been your sport or activity that you've, you've always done? Uh, running, netball, uh, and uh, more so now as getting older with injuries, things, cycling, swimming, uh, cardio workouts so probably when I was talking in my early 20s I'd say I was you know less on the active side because I got well into my career then and I was going really well and I think I started 
now that I'm listening, you know, remembering things, I was exercising less and eating and drinking more of the wrong foods that would have been heightening the hormones and causing extra discomfort for me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to put it because everyone has their own different story and just for you putting on, because your symptoms weren't, don't seem to be as severe with endometriosis as some of the other women that can have really severe symptoms is what are the the things mm -hmm. that you were doing to manage your endometriosis and it's something that we always suggest is obviously eating a, a good diet avoiding alcohol and for endometriosis exercise seems to be a real key ingredient in managing the condition and you've always kept yourself active so that's i'd say played a, a large role in not allowing that endometriosis to get out of control Mm, I know what reading the emails through that that come through every week and thing that thing oh it's it actually encourages you to exercise it's actually good even with getting your period I say to our daughter a bit of exercise even if you don't feel like doing it walking even if you do 30 minutes and I was interested when I was reading that so I thought I'd say over the years that me keeping active would have helped for sure no, it certainly does so how old is your daughter now? Uh, she'll be 21 in July. Okay. And is she showing any signs of endometriosis or similar? No, nothing yet. But I was wondering if there's a test that she can have to see, you know, if she actually has it, you know. But she hasn't said that she's in, you know, horrendous pain. She has... Uh, at times when she was doing like say she's at uni now but year 11 and 12 when maybe she was a little more stressed with exams uh, she said more pain so she was taking I think just some hyperbrofens and uh, there's another there's another tablet that focus I can't think of the name of it now that you can get from the pharmacist that helps uh, with pain management during that yeah, time. There's often a very familial history with it, with endometriosis. So it's it's something to certainly keep an eye on. Um, and, you know, one of our passions is teaching younger women how to manage their hormones naturally and, and understand that their diet, lifestyle, exercise play a huge role in how their, their periods, the pain levels, you know, that how heavy their periods are and that kind of thing. So. I'm sure you've probably been keenly watching, you know, if she's had any of these symptoms. So it sounds like she's okay, but certainly worth keeping an eye on. Mm, and we do talk openly about it. I've explained to her. She knows that we had, because for years she'd say, oh, how come, how come an only child, you know, kids at school must say things. And we'd say to her that, she was so perfect she broke the mold and there was no more but then as she got older we actually told her about I've we've explained to her about the miscarriages and I've talked to her about endo and you know just saying things to look out for because I'd never want anyone else to have that pain when you have a focus and you want to have a certain amount of kids and then you, it doesn't happen for you so just yeah education around that and nurturing her through that journey as well and then when she comes to that time so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it yeah okay good so let's go right to the present now and you've had some experience with our approach and products tell me now you must be coming close or you're getting into this 
certainly perimenopausal, but into a menopausal stage of life. Um, tell me how your periods are now and if you're suffering from any symptoms. Uh, so at about, same when I saw that gynecologist, about 38, I started having, I'd wake up feeling quite wet and clammy. Uh, so it started really early for me. And I know we shouldn't get on to Mr. and Mrs. Google and start researching, but I started, we do tend to do a bit of self-diagnosis. So when I started taking happy hormones, I noticed that was that was the one thing that changed significantly really quickly as I wasn't waking up feeling like I was like someone had tipped a bucket of water over me. And also I found, uh, and look, I know stress can, can escalate things too, but my, I felt better in myself and not sort of a bit niggly. And even my husband sometimes will say, are you still taking those happy hormones? <laughs> Uh, so we have little jokes about it but yeah definitely helped I was very surprised how much it helped but then you you need it it's I feel like it's a bit of a team you need to do the other things as well so yes you need to eat things and stress I didn't realize until same started reading your emails and then seeing the podcast how much stress can escalate our hormones and at times it can be hard to keep a lid on that so the you know, certain things can only do so much. We as humans, we need to make changes as well and reduce alcohol intake. So that's why the the emails coming through and everything, if you're reading them, you say, oh, okay, I didn't realise that. Not that I think I was a big drinker, but it can go through phases where, you know, one or two wines with dinner every night can be quite soothing, but it then can have the reverse effect where it could be affecting everything else in your body. So yes just being more vigilant around those things has definitely helped me and now uh i actually had a stage not long ago last year i didn't have a period for six months and they thought okay it's all finished and then i did get another one but they're very few and far between now and a day or you know not even so i'd say i'm well and truly at the other side <laughs> And how long have you been taking happy hormones for? Uh, I was actually, before I started chatting with you today, I, it has to be about eight years, I think. Wow. Yeah. So I've, yeah. So I'm just phasing things out now, coming through to, and I don't know how much longer I'll be mm. in this zone. Well, there's a couple of really good lessons in there for other ladies listening is one is, as you mentioned, it's a it's a system. So happy hormones is just a tool. It's certainly not a cure all, but it's a tool that you can use in this stage of life to help you navigate from and allow your body to do what it should be doing naturally. And I'll go into this a little bit is there's a, a misconception that you need uh, estrogen levels and progesterone levels during uh, menopause and it, there's kind of this HRT myth that you need these hormones to age well and to be healthy and it's almost like menopause is a disease but this is actually what your body wants to do it actually doesn't want estrogen and progesterone when you're going into menopause because you're not fertile anymore so what your body does is shifts to this alternate hormone system using more androgen based hormones so male hormones but in women they have the same effect 
things like ADL and DHEA, they have the same effect as estrogen and progesterone, but without, I call them side effects, it's probably not the right word, of estrogen and progesterone when you're not fertile, because both those hormones are quite stimulatory. So what you've done by being on happy hormones all that time without realizing is you've supported your natural process, you've allowed your body to go through that. So you've only had minimal sort of hot flushes and you, your periods become less and less and you've sort of just sort of slid through that really well. And considering your history with endometriosis, that's really, really amazing. Whereas we get a lot of ladies turn up with full blown hot flushes, 25 a day and you know, they're expecting results in, you know, a few weeks. So it's really important to, particularly in the perimenopausal phase, you know, early 40s, to start to support your body through that transitionary period. And happy hormones is a tool, but diet and lifestyle, that cause and effect and reducing alcohol, it equally, well, not equally, a lot more important. And then happy hormones is just that tool that brings it all together. So just to shape any of the ladies that are wondering, well, why is Kim gone through this and had a really nice journey? It's, it's a combination of that. You're doing the right things with your diet and lifestyle and understanding that particularly alcohol, because what alcohol does is it stops the detoxification of your own hormones internally. So drinking alcohol will increase your circulating estrogens by about 200% for between four to six hours, because instantly it sees alcohol as a toxin and it, it will metabolize the alcohol first, then it'll go back to what it should be doing, which is metabolizing hormones or one of the liver's jobs. So, you know, and it, this is, you know, a lot of women really literally cry into their wine glass because that's been their coping mechanism with kids and everything else is have a glass of wine, you can switch off. But, you know, the secondary side effects of that for women particularly, unfortunately, is can be quite severe and, um, it's just one of the things we suggest when it comes to hot flushes, alcohol, sugar, stress, and coffee are the four big things that'll make hot flushes worse. So, but you've done really, really well. So congratulations. Well, I've had the support, see, because in the early day, like with you were still saying, I don't think the emails were always weekly. They might've been, but just reading that, I know we get a lot of emails when we're signed up for different groups, but if you read, you know, particular ones and get educated on, then you can help. And it's got to start here with yourself. And I've talked to a girl, other girlfriend just recently, I said, but if you do this, this and this, who, who actually is taking this, this and this, then it'll all work together as part of a team of help nurturing your body. But, and then a couple of times visiting GP saying, I'm recommending HRT. I said, no, no, I don't need that. I was adamant that I, I didn't want to go down that path because I have a lot of older friends and the, the issues they had, some of them, many different things. And I just thought if I look for a natural, more natural style, then that's going to nurture my body for longevity rather than too many chemicals. Sure, your body, our bodies are not diseased in, when it comes to hormones. They, they can get out of balance, but it's, you know, the natural process that the body goes through is it's, it's really amazing to be honest and but we've put this sort of disease label on menopause and touting hrt but it's really just putting a band-aid on what the body wants to do and that can cause a whole lot of problems down the line so are, are you a member of our communities as well the facebook groups uh, uh 
Actually, I don't know if I am following the group on Facebook. I'll have to check. Yeah, yeah because you mentioned the emails as the way that you were educated. So we've got lots of different ways that we help ladies and, and the online Facebook group. There's about 178,000 women in there now. That's another way that, that women consume their content and the, the education that we're giving them. So. It, it can get quite full on because there's, you know, we're getting hundreds of post requests a day from ladies. So we only allow about 20. So if you're interested in that sort of stuff, it might be something you can have a look at. But uh, and we're now with with the podcast, we're putting a lot of content onto YouTube as well. So um, just trying to touch people in, in different ways where they consume media. So um, if you're enjoying the emails, then that's fine. Mm. Well, it's definitely created awareness and I've told numerous about friends that are, you know, a bit older or coming through saying you've got to try it, at least give it a go because if what you're doing is not working, then you need to make a change. Yeah. And we tend to say is, you know, start with the natural process first and in our experience, about 90% of women we can help in a significant way, but obviously you can't cure everyone or, or help everyone. So. If, and if, if women are not willing to make those other dietary and lifestyle changes, it can make it difficult as well. So we have a solution for a group of the community. And if you follow what we do, we get, you can see the results you get. So, and you're a great example mm. of that. So thank you so much for spending the time today, Kim. It's been a real pleasure listening to your story and listening to all the hardship, but it's really nice to see how you've, you've dealt with that and you've come through and now you're enjoying your wonderful daughter who's developing her own life now as well. So um, thank you so much for spending that time and hopefully lots of women can watch this and take um, joy and education and learning from your story. Mm. Thank you. Fabulous in your 50s. It's achievable and you can cruise through your 40s, but you have to make changes. Exactly. And it's better to make it in your 40s. You make those changes then so that you can enjoy your 50s otherwise the 50s can be a, a rough ride for many women as we see so oh a roller coaster ride of hormones yeah exactly <laughs> okay thanks kim thank you have a great day too